The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is going to be a fun one. It's a good chance to dive into some film. We'd been doing some draft stuff, and then I realized that maybe it's better to do more of that stuff closer to, say, the draft. And also, I'm not really that excited by any of the players who remain. Uh, Danny's Obi Toppin work is uh, just sitting in the can for now while, while I catch up to him. But I wanted to go through some film and then do something that we did two years ago. We didn't have time to do it last year, but it's especially important to me this year because it, there's unlikely to be any kind of a summer league and that is just looking at the young players throughout the league and their development so we're going to start with the pacific division today danny and i are going to go through basically all the young players generally we'll be looking at guys with three years of experience or less uh unless it's someone we like really really want to talk about or maybe we'll leave out someone who just doesn't have enough of a track record to discuss and so we're going to go through is talk about where these players are what their development has been like over the course of the season and then maybe give them a one through ten grade on their level of development uh over the past or i guess we should say just during this season so uh let's begin danny what team would you like to start with well let's start with the phoenix suns who have the number one pick of the 2018 draft, DeAndre Ayton. And this was Ayton's age 21 season. Remember, he only played in 30 games pre-hiatus due to the suspension, but he averaged 19 points, 12 rebounds, and two, about two blocks per game in 33 minutes. Uh, I'll go just do a little blitz on the other stats. Uh, 20 PER, 57% true shooting on 24 usage, and some improvements as a rebounder. Yeah, so that true shooting is a little bit lower than you might like it to be. We'll, we'll talk about his offense first here uh the usage is pretty high for a, a center and i thought he did take a, a few steps for this year with his post game uh, that's something that he's been working on a lot uh, what he likes to do is get the ball in the post and if he's not right at the basket he'll usually make a pretty quick move uh spinning away from the defense that's actually something i saw the coaching staff working with him on to feel the defense and spin away which and so a lot of times he doesn't have the highest release on his hook shot if he goes to his left shoulder or his turnaround jumper which he'll usually shoot when he goes to his right shoulder he probably favors the right shoulder a little bit more um but if he can feel the pressure of the defense and spin away from it into his move immediately, he's able to get plenty of room to get these shots off. But kind of the problem to me is that that's really a finesse move. And one of the things that really has not taken a step forward for him has been getting to the foul line. 
Right. That that's a big a big challenge there. I think it's good to use per 100 possession stats on this. Aiden got to the line 4.1 times per 100 possessions in his rookie year and that actually and that's not great. You know, like you'd like that number to be higher and it actually dropped to 3.7 per 100 possessions. This year he does make a very respectable 77% of his free throws, so if he got there more often but then the bigger concern for me, kind of, so that that's one part of it. But I, I like to talk about the aggressiveness, which is the combination of how often you get to the line, but also what proportion of your shots are around the basket. And for Aiton this year, only 47% of his shots were in that zero to three feet range using the filter that Basketball Reference uses, compared with 23% from three to 10 feet, 20% from 10 to 16 feet, and then another 10% of deep twos. Yeah, and basically, you're never going to get fouled if you're a big guy outside of three feet. That's almost never going to happen, you know, unless you're like Joel Embiid and you really have the, the tricks. And so, you know, I, I think he, they ran some more nice stuff for him this year. I, I like the way he was able to get some deep post-ups, especially if he ran the floor. Uh, and then the other thing that really is, you know, and they're trying to, this guy was drafted number one. They're trying to give him some room to explore the studio space. Uh, but he also has this hot potato jump shot from the elbow where as soon as he gets it, I mean, that's not a shot that teams really are trying to get anymore, but he'll just shoot that the second it touches his hands at the elbow instead of letting the game slow down, trying to make a play from there a lot of times. Um, there's also his passing is someone that is something that people really fixated on a lot as he came in is something that could, he could be better at, but he wasn't really necessarily drawing double teams, uh, making huge strides as a passer. It's about the same as last year. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about uh, on his offense? Well, just, just to put it in a little bit of context for those who care about these things, he was a slight negative in offensive PIPM and a slight positive in offensive RPM. So, you know, around a kind of around a neutral offensive player then. And if he weren't making strides defensively, that would be a much bigger problem, especially for somebody taken number one overall, because the theory of Aiton was that he could be this potentially dominant offensive player, and then he had a lot of room to grow on defense. And it is encouraging that while the offense, you know, there are little inklings of improvement that hasn't grown. His defense has gotten a lot better. Yeah, it has. Now, of course, recall that he had that pretty severe sprained ankle. And then, of course, before that, the 25-game PED suspension. So he only played 30 games this year. And that's just simply not being out there to play, especially when that 25 games was self-inflicted. That's something that uh, is going to be a negative in terms of talking about his development. So defensively, he may have been the most damaging single defensive player in basketball last season. And I thought he actually moved up to being passable this year which is a massive improvement yeah and especially he's 21 I think there's this was age 21 season there's a lot of room to grow there and you when you look at some of the traditional kind of center metrics you see that his block rate improved dramatically he was he only blocked 2.6 percent of opponent two-pointers when he was on the floor last year that jumped to 4.5 percent this year and you also see it in how opponents shot around the rim yeah absolutely last year 65 percent shooting when DeAndre Ayton was in the area that is atrocious for a center and the Suns defense was atrocious last year they got better this year he had better players around him but he also did a much better job of contesting and now 54 percent of the rim that's pretty average for a center so definite improvement there and he had some games where he had 
a bunch of blocks was actually able to make an impact at the basket and intimidate players some which you just didn't see any of whatsoever a season ago the other thing that he really struggled with last year in addition to just having the timing and the mentality to help in general was pick and roll defense he also got better there i watched about 50 of his pick and roll defense possessions on synergy and I was pleased to say I didn't really see him make any huge mistakes. There weren't plays where you're looking at it and you're like, oh man, this guy is just getting traffic coned. He has no idea where to stand. Now, certainly I wouldn't rate him as above average in conventional pick and roll defense. When they laid back a lot of times, uh, guys were able to get open in the mid-range. You know, he's not at the point where he's really making the ball handler uncomfortable, fainting towards him, getting back to his man. But he at least is doing a good job of not letting his own man get behind him you know to retreat to the basket if they're in more of a conventional drop coverage he also showed the ability to get out on the floor a little bit more that looked reasonably decent and he's able to use his hands a lot more try to disrupt the passing angles a a little bit when he's closer to the ball handler so he doesn't have quite as easy of a look into that pocket pass so certainly still has some limitations where in particular anytime that uh, there's a ball handler who could pull up from three especially a quicker guard uh if he really had to get out at the three-point line he could really get blown by and in particular guards were really good at catching him while he was still moving forward to contest the shot and blowing by him for a layup but uh, he did show more ability than last year to try to track back and at least affect those plays at the rim. I thought he looked better in both pick and roll and ISO situations against more wing size players who aren't going to necessarily blow by him with quickness as much. I thought he was able to do a good job of containing those players pretty well, getting a, a good contest in switch situations. Uh, as a post up defender, he also was pretty solid. So. Definite steps forward for Aiton. Does that mean that there are all-star appearances in his future or that he's going to be a future superstar? I wouldn't go that far, especially with the missed development time. That that hurts him a little bit. But you know, I think I'd give him a solid seven for his uh, development, seven out of 10 uh, over the past year. Uh, and it, most of, not that much de- uh, offensively, but a ton of it defensively. I think he did much better this year defensively uh, than I thought he could given where he was last year. Yeah, I'll go with a six just because the offense didn't improve as much. I was really hoping that he would become more assertive and get to the line a little bit more often. Like that, that was something I've been looking for from Aiton. I, I love that, especially with big men, especially with the, some of the physical advantages that he can have, especially we're talking about a regular season where there are you're not playing superstars every every night in night out and so I but the defensive growth is really encouraging and I'm excited to see where it goes from here because a lot of what Aiton clean did was clean up stuff that had to be cleaned up but where centers you know like where this the bread is really going to be buttered moving forward is does he get better at anticipation do his feet get a little bit better in terms of recovery does he get more stout as a as a rim protector and those will define whether he becomes, you know, passable, good enough, above average, very good. I don't think elite. Like I wouldn't expect that given where where he where he started, where he is now. But there is still a massive amount, a massive difference there, and that can help cover the golf if Aiton doesn't become the offensive player that many of us hoped he would be. Yeah, and really the questions to me is, is he going to be like a real plus defender? You know, he still has a long way to go for that. He doesn't have a ton of instincts there. And then the other thing is, is he going to be 
a play creator that the opposing team is afraid of to where right he he's really you know 24 percent usage that's pretty good for a big but he's pretty close to maxing that out and he's already he's taking some bad shots right now too that he probably really would be better for the team if he just didn't take those well, quick elbow and, and, jumpers and I, a lot of the time I, I think the fear part of this is really important because there is a massive dividing line when you think about how a big man is used and it is how much attention does he draw other than his own man and Aiton you know if he's going to be pretty good at beating his own guy but not really draw those doubles then a the passing ability matters less and B, like teams are just going to live with that, especially if it's, you know, half court offense, not a, not an incredibly like efficient base. Now he can improve. A lot of guys do and make that into something else. But especially with the evolving nature of the center position, it's, he's going to have to take real leaps forward to, to be a, to be a net positive, to justify that usage on a much better team, which the Suns of course hope to be. Yeah. So, all right, let's try not to take 12 minutes on every player, but he's probably the, the most interesting player on. The, this yeah. entire list in the Pacific well, Division, and I and I did the most work on him. So let's turn to uh, yeah. his teammate, Mikael Bridges. Yeah, we won't have to take as long on Mikael Bridges. I, I think the story is is pretty basic. Uh, he's nine points, four rebounds, two assists, and about twenty seven minutes a game. It's actually fewer than he played as a rookie, which is about thirty minutes a game. And Mikael Bridges, offensively, it's just exceedingly low usage. He did have sixty two percent true shooting, but he only had twelve usage and nine assist percentage. That's Basketball References version of the stat. So Bridges was reasonably efficient at what he did. He just didn't take many shots. And a, a way of putting this, so he ran 34 pick, pick and rolls all year. He took 100, he had 191 spot up possessions and he had, and, and he, so he had 133 catch and shoots and 37 shots off the dribble. And you're like, okay, you know, that's, that's the distribution there. But remember, he played 1800 minutes and he only took that few shots. It's pretty amazing. But that's what, that's what Bridges is offensively. And I think he can be a value add defensively. Well, and I, I like his shot distribution, 40% yes. at, of his shots coming at the rim, and he shoots 74% on those shots. So that's how you get that good true shooting. It's only 35% from three and not a crazy attempt rate. He's changed up his shooting form a little bit. He used to really have more of a dip than he did. Now he's he's kind of halfway in between, I think, getting from that old form to a new form. He still has a little bit of a hitch in it, but he's trying not to dip it, and his release looks better. You know, I haven't really seen him passing up shots necessarily, but, you know, I think he's more likely to settle in as kind of your, you know, maybe a Trevor Ariza level of three-point shooter uh, rather than above that. I think a lot of his value is going to come from it if he can move beyond that, and he's an effective cutter. He's effective in transition. Like, I don't think he's an offensive liability. I think he will end up being kind of an average NBA wing offensively and someone who can you know at least you're gonna have to guard out in the perimeter and, and then defensively you know the numbers on him are, are really outstanding there they are um both RPM and PIPM really, really like Bridges' defense. He was, uh, so to use PIPM, his plus 1.72 defensive PIPM is one of the better numbers for a non-elite perimeter defender, if you want to compare. It's similar to Robert Covington and Royce O'Neal, so not the best of the best, but still pretty good. And both RPM and PIPM see Bridges right now as a player who is more positive on defense than he is negative on, on offense. And I think that feels about right to me. I've liked Bridges' defense. And using the splits the synergy has, 
has. Bridges actually has defended pick and rolls the most, and it gets into some of the some of the stuff with how uh, Monty Williams has run Phoenix's defense, but also the versatility that Bridges has. He can defend different types of perimeter players, and he was you know fine on defending pick and rolls, fine defending spot ups and off the screens. Uh, and he, interestingly, he didn't do that much defending isolations. Only fifty four possessions, and you know not great in those. But if it's fifty four possessions, I'm not reading too much into it. Yeah, and I do think he's more of your Robert Covington type defender, yes. although maybe not that level of shot blocking, uh, than he is your on-ball stopper due to being a little bit more frail than you'd particularly like with that sort of player. But you never know. I mean, Ariza used to be that guy, and he got to be strong enough to guard like a Kevin Durant, for example. So, you know, maybe as he, he doesn't have like a crazy thick body type, but maybe he can just continue to get stronger. So, you know, I'd give him about a five for his development. I think, you know, pretty much a about what might have been expected this year incremental improvement how, how do you feel so he's about at two percent or above in steel rate steel percentage and block percentage I, I mean that that's definitely a positive too that he's making some plays on that end on oh yeah yeah definitely i mean he's and, and he's got quick hands like he's got a little bit of a shark in him yeah to be sure what's what's your rating for his development i'm gonna go with a five as well just because it's it's not like it's bad, but we just haven't really seen it. I, I haven't seen any wrinkles from Bridges that I, that is, are surprising me, and it's it's fine. I, I think you, like a, you know, just like we talked about with offseason grades, a five or a C, if we want to call it that, is average. That doesn't mean it's a guy's terrible or anything like that. We're not doing great inflation. Right. Yeah, it's about what you would have expected, I think, and and. You know, maybe there are people who wanted him to compete with Kelly Oubre and win that job, but Oubre had a nice season, and they needed a little bit more perimeter scoring. So, and you might want to see him develop a little bit more as a scorer. But they got some mouths to feed on that team, so I think he's he's totally on track. Um, quickly, we'll hit on uh, Javon Carter. Played 754 minutes, was the backup point guard initially, even played in some two backup point guard alignments. Uh, Suns really struggled without Ricky Rubio on the floor this year. He started shooting it pretty well, uh, but tailed off. I mean, his defense, we know what that is. He played in that pressing system at West Virginia. He's not quite Chris Dunn level. He doesn't have quite that level of physical tools, but he's he's the next level down from him. He can definitely make uh, opposing guards' lives uncomfortable if uh, they're not ready for it but you know the offense is uh you know it's kind of is he gonna make shots or not and if he doesn't he doesn't really have much else to do yeah so i mean that's gonna make it a challenge for kind of how to how to slot in javon carter moving forward and i think you know even though i would argue and i think he would too that chris dunn is a better defensive guard we've seen these exact same problems in place for dunn and i would say dunn especially i think dunn has more positional size he can do more on twos than than i think than carter can as a right now i think he has that capacity so it could be hard but i still think he can be a part of a rotation moving forward he just kind of needs something a little bit different next one yeah and for carter did actually shoot 39 percent from three this year the volume also not bad 5.6 per 36 minutes but he shoots 41 percent from two and so yeah, it's really it, and you know I, I think there's a place for him in the nba you know, as sort of a new age Randy Brown type, maybe a poor man's Corey Joseph. You know, he doesn't have the level of ball skills uh, that Corey Joseph does. Uh, but, you know, I think he might be a, a better spot up shooter eventually. So I, I think there's still some hope for him. I know that they played poorly with him on the floor. But, you know, if he is going to be your primary pick and roll option, you know, you, he, your offense is going to be overmatched. Like, can he play a backup point guard, you know, next to another on ball creator? Then, yeah, I think he, he could look a lot better in that role. Ty Jerome, on the other hand, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, no, that was going to say basically the same thing. 
yeah, Ty Jerome, 315 minutes. Uh, his season was really torpedoed by this ankle injury that he had early in camp. Did not get into the action. Had some chances, but wasn't really able to earn that backup point guard job, despite the fact that they had really struggled. Uh, he got a lot of reps off ball, uh, but that was one of the appeals to him coming out of school. And I think, although he didn't shoot it incredibly well, uh, he looked comfortable as an off-ball player. He can make some heady cuts at times uh you know looks comfortable shooting on the move and I, I was also just i thought he in watching him he just knows how to play he in kind of semi scramble situations he'll even you know go set a quick on ball screen and transition and slip it he likes to move without the ball he likes to find cutters so he, he's definitely a basketball player he understands how to play uh but uh, the problem is he has very very little athleticism his finishing at the rim was a major major problem and I think for guys who are below average athletically and who are kind of headier players, this is might be counterintuitive, but sometimes I think those players actually have a little bit more of an adjustment curve because they just haven't seen it before. Like their brains the have to don't catch work. up and they, right. Yeah. They got to, they got to find a way through experience to just know, all right, here's what I can get away with. And here's what I can't. I mean, you just saw some of the layups that he would try. It was just no hope. Like they're just going to get blocked into the stands. Um, you know, for example, he didn't run much pick and roll, uh, obviously only 315 minutes, but only two for eight at the rim out of pick and roll. And some of those misses were just like the big, just like eating his layup for breakfast. Well, and, and, so, and another calibrator there is 14% of Ty Jerome shots were at the restricted area. 22% were from floater range. So that means he's, he's having some trouble getting there. There are guys there that he can't really get through. And it's not like those shots at the basket were converting free throws because he took 14 free throws in his 315 minutes. Yeah, and I didn't think his mid-range jumper looked that great. He doesn't really get much elevation on it to get it off. You know, maybe maybe his floater is a little bit more of a weapon. Uh, and so that's the offensive situation. And then defensively, obviously, you know, some of these guys who are lower minutes, we didn't get into their defense as much because there's just, there's not that much film on them playing in right. real situations. And also it just like evaluating defense just took probably more time than we had <laughs> for this exercise. So it's hard to really evaluate a guy's defense if he, you're not either seeing him live or, you know, really getting a large sample of him playing in a lot of NBA games. So some of these guys, you know, we're going to be focused more on the offense, um, just as we're doing this survey, it's just not possible to really dive in on defense. But for what little I was able to see, I mean, obviously he's gonna doesn't have length, doesn't have much athleticism. Yeah, he's six five, but you know he's really gonna uh, struggle to find someone to guard, and, and that's where I think offensively he could be a decent fit with Devin Booker because he can hit shots off the ball or he can set Booker up. But defensively, those two together in the backcourt is a struggle. Right. My, um, my worry, I'll just yeah. say quickly, my worry with Ty Jerome is that I don't think he can create reliably for himself and others. And he's not good enough like Javon Carter to make up some of that ground on the defensive end. And so he's going to have to get craftier. He's going to have to get a better shot, maybe develop a more reliable pull up. But it's not it's possible. But I, I'm I'm a little bit less enthralled with him right now. But let's move to Cam Johnson. Remember the the machinations involved in James Johnson getting Cam Johnson. James that, Jones. James Jones. Sorry. James Jones. Yeah. Different different person. Um. And so they <laughs> they moved from six to eleven and added Dario Saric in that deal. And Cody Kobe White was available at six. Other I mean they ended up taking Culver. But anyway. They took Cam Johnson, and I think there were some really positive signs. Averaged eight points and three rebounds in about 20 minutes a game, 49 games played, 
low PER, even though he had above average true shooting at 57%, because Johnson's usage was only 16%. But the part that is so interesting, and this is why he came up a little bit, in, like as I brought him up as a tangential note in the you know potential like interesting players in the future, is 40% on 11 threes per 100 possessions. Yeah, the, that looks good. So that's a, per 36 minutes, eight threes per 36 minutes. That's that's pretty darn good. Um, now, he's got a high release. I, I still think he's taking a lot of shots, but he's not quite at the level where he's coming off screens. I mean, I think that's the thing that would be the number one thing to work on offensively for him. And then there's, you know, if you're shooting 40% from three, you should have better than slightly above a league average true shooting percentage. And, you know, this is his rookie year, but he's going to be 24. Um, and just too many twos, not a high enough percentage on those plays. You know, he's not really an athletic finisher. I did think he showed a little bit more defensively than his reputation Agreed. would have suggested like he didn't look like just a complete disaster out there from an athletic standpoint and so if he can hold up especially at 6-9 it just to be passable uh, with that high release and improve his vibe you know I think he could really be a player also worrisome that you know he missed a few games here and there with soreness in his hip he'd had hip issues going back uh, to college so that's something to keep an eye on as well but I think uh he didn't just and especially considering how bad this draft was after John Morant and Zion Williamson he didn't look like a crazy pick at number 11 which is kind of what uh, how people were talking about it a couple other cam johnson stats. Uh, uh, yeah quick quickly i guess we forgot uh jerome i don't really have a, a development rating for him probably too yeah i think minutes. it's about, i think it's too early what, what about johnson well it's it's I, I'll, I'll give him like a six because he was better defensively than i thought but we yeah. haven't seen the versatility in his offense i thought that you know his first year was better than i anticipated but the growth we we just we're just gonna need to see a little bit more but i want to do a couple of cam johnson stats well, well i'll tell you what actually let's the, it's kind let's of not do it for do rookies rookies yeah, yeah exactly yeah, okay, okay. Good, so good point so um, two stats um 51 players took 10 or more threes per hundred possessions and uh and cam johnson was 16th among that 51 and three point percentage and if you look at kind of the combination of volume and success the three players that had the most similar profiles just in in those two things jaron jackson Furkan korkmaz and svi mikhailuk which is an unusual qu- quartet of players and um Johnson ends up as a money ball player, mostly because all of his shots are threes. 86% of his shots are threes are at the rim, and 71% of that is is at, from three. So it, it works out, and that's part of why he was above average in true shooting. But as you said, there's a lot of growth that he can do from two, even if it's not a majority of his shots. Uh, Jalen LeCue, you're probably LeCue who, uh, he is uh, drafted basically at almost no experience whatsoever uh saw him some in summer league i was intrigued by his first step and I, that remains the case uh, with some of his physical tools or you know, a zach levine-esque physical profile i would say um and not that level of shooter certainly uh the efficiency numbers were just absolutely atrocious in the g league shooting under 30 percent from three and you know he did, wasn't adverse to taking them necessarily averse to taking them necessarily but did not go in. He kind of gets his left hand a little bit more involved in the jump shot than you'd like. Um, but, I mean, every once in a while, he would wow you with his speed with the ball in transition. That first step, some of the dunks he would get. Uh, he had this one Euro step where he just made the guy look absolutely silly and i mean it wouldn't surprise me if he was the least valuable player in the g league this year in terms of actually helping his team win games so with his total lack of experience and the efficiency just being so atrocious and uh you know again didn't spend a ton of time on his defense but he's certainly not the player profile
profile of someone who would be a good defender at this point in time. So, you know, I would have hoped that he could show more from a statistical standpoint, but the physical tools and particularly that first step intrigue me enough that uh, I think they should continue to try and develop him. But, you know, I, I think it would be hard to say that he, you know, looks like a future star or anything. Like if you go through a year and you don't show that pro- uh, progress, that's not a great sign. But there are enough flashes there to make you think, ah, okay. Uh, we're not going to go in, in depth on Elliot Kobo. He did play 700 minutes. This was his age 22 season. But especially considering the proliferation of backup point guards in Phoenix, which actually expanded with Cameron Payne. I, I, don't, I don't know that James Jones is putting him too much in their plans. So we'll see where, where it ends up. And we can move on to the other high profile young talent team in the Pacific. Well, here, hold on. Let, let's, uh, let's take a quick break first. Sure. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so really only two major players on this sacramento kings team and one of them only played 334 minutes uh and interestingly bagley uh has not we haven't heard that he's actually cleared from that foot sprain to come back yet uh that's uh seems to still be up in the air it could just be he's fine and no one has asked the question yet but uh you know usually they'd be like yes he's expected to play and we haven't gotten that yet from the kings but uh, uh what did we see from bagley this season in that limited time i mean i kind of think the answer is is not a ton remember he played opening night and then missed until almost christmas and then had and then had the other injury. I don't think he ever played more than ten games in a row this year. Just was battling injuries. And my hope is that some of the decreases we saw in Bagley's offense were attributable to just battling injuries the entire season. His true shooting dropped from fifty six percent to fifty one. Didn't get to the free throw line nearly as much. So hopefully those are related related to that. But. the the big problem with Bagley and this isn't as much you know this is more just looking at the overall sample not just this year is sort of similar to the misgivings that I've laid out with John Collins before which is just what is his role on a good team but the difference is John Collins has been a lot better overall and specifically offensively in his three seasons than Marvin Bagley has been in his two yeah and I think that the you have uh often referred to the phrase is the juice worth the squeeze and so the juice is not really there at least as this year you mentioned the efficiency dropped but the idea was all right this guy is going to be a dominating score and even uh, someone who is going to be able to create his own offense not just a guy who's going to be you know offensive glass finish some pick and rolls uh, get some transition but like a guy who's really going to be able to create for you and again truncated season but we did not see that at all from him and because you know he's generally going to be most likely a defensive liability he's probably going to be at least a little bit of a spacing liability and so while working on all those things are very important for his nba future the idea is you have this awesome scoring and then all right you can live with the other stuff but if he doesn't have that scoring then it's like all right what is the point of this guy at that point so um let's move on to De'Aaron Fox and his age 22 season he had big time struggles in the beginning with what was called a grade three ankle sprain but made one of the, maybe the most successful return from that injury that I can recall and by the last couple of months uh, he was really roaring he was and so the season-long stats pre-hiatus still I mean even if you talk I agree with you that he was a lot better later than he was in the beginning 20 PER 56 true shooting on 30 usage 35 percent assists all career highs and he did that despite not really making not making threes at the rate that we would hope 
Pope. He was 31% on 5.23s per 100 possessions. And Fox, we've seen this before. So he was 31% as a rookie, 37% last year. And I mean, I'm an optimist on Fox. I, I, I like a lot of what he does. You're like, oh man, if this shooting is real, then then he becomes an absolute monster. Even if it's, it's kind of, it's it's a different part of his game than it is for somebody like, let's say, let's go to the extreme and say like Dame Lillard or Steph Curry, just if he can have that in the bag. And then he dropped to 31% again this year. So that's worth, that's worth thinking about, you know, that if the shot, especially in a self-created capacity is more limited, that does lower it. But I've, and those who listen to 15 and 60s at the time, the stat that I've been fixated on with Fox and the Kings since his rookie year was half-court offensive efficiency, because he was such a demon in transition, especially last year. And I was basically thinking, okay, he can, we know, we know the value add there. We know what he can do there. What can he be the, the linchpin on a half-court offense? And we're getting closer to that being a, a, not a full-throated yes, but a more, a more enthusiastic yes than I expected for him at just 22 years old. Well, what I'm really encouraged uh, about by him is the improvement in his shot distribution from his rookie year until now from 24% up to 31% of his shots are taken at the rim and he's pretty much cut out twos outside of 15 feet entirely those comprise only five percent of his shots so when you're the primary pick and roll option for a team that's pretty good to only take uh, that few and he's up to taking 22 percent of his shots from three to enough to where it can be at least a, a little bit of a weapon so i i'm pleased with that i did think that he did not give quite the same effort defensively this season but clearly that's something that is there for him uh you know i think he can be a solid defensive player well and, and also uh, something else that's yeah. helping fox if from an efficiency perspective, despite that decrease in shooting, is he's getting to the line a lot more. Um, so per 100 yeah. possessions, five free throws per 100 possessions this rookie year, up to 7.6 last year, and then 10 and a half this year and making 70% of them that that's totally fine gets to the basket more and it's a natural progression for physically talented young point guards they need to to get some of the tools to, to do it and then get stronger so that they can actually finish amongst the trees and Fox 67% finishing in the restricted area I'm I'd love to see that kick up a little bit but I'm totally fine with it and if he's I, getting, I mean for a guard that's very good yeah absolutely uh, I, I mean it'd so, be awesome if and, he could get to 70 71 but if but where he is now yeah. and getting to the line well, this well much, when you consider that like you know how few of those are like assisted plays where right. it's getting set set up right at the basket too right. so no and, i i mean I'm, I'm very satisfied with that yeah and for. and fox right now so only 14 percent of his two-point attempts are assisted and more than half of his threes so that is more there are a lot of point guards who who even do that just because of the flow of the offense but yeah i mean sacramento's offense being better in transition is important and in, interestingly even though that was true like they jumped from a 93 offensive rating in the half court in Fox's minutes last year to 97.5 this year. That's great. You know, 97.5 is 75th percentile per cleaning the glass, but they got so many fewer possessions in transition, which is way more efficient than the half court, especially with Aaron Fox on the floor that the Kings weren't really that much more efficient offensively in his minutes, but I don't blame Fox for that. I think some of that is the transition from Dave Yeager to, to Luke Walton, and some of it is just the happenstance. Like, they ran so aggressively in 18-19, and that would have been hard to duplicate. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I would give him a five for his development, which is totally good, right? He, I think he's on track, especially given how the season started. You should be pleased with that as a Kings fan. You know, I think people thought of him as being on track to being a future all-star and i think he took a, another step forward in the end this season i'm interested to see what he's going to do uh, once uh, the season resumes justin james played only 218 minutes and pretty much every clip when i turned him on was uh either four minutes left in the third 
quarter or later with the Kings down 20 or more. <laughs> yep. So, uh, but he only played like three games in the G League. So I w- didn't get a chance to really look at that. So I'll just give you a little bit on him. Uh, 40th overall pick out of Wyoming in the 2019 draft, 23 years old. Uh, he, he's kind of a, a silky score type, you know, not like a natural shooter, although he'll take open three point shots. Only weighs a buck 90 at 6'7, so that, that's a concern. He's not going to be a plus defensive player. Um, he pretty much was working off the ball, it did a little bit more on the ball in his three G League games, uh, but mostly as a, a, a spot up guy. So he's kind of, you know, a, a guy who the idea of him would be he becomes a, kind of a bench professional scorer. But just just to give you a general idea of his game, the, the efficiency numbers weren't amazing. But again, 200 minutes, far too little to draw any conclusions there. Let, Where do you want to go next? Let's stay in Northern California, go to the, the Golden State Warriors. We're not going to spend as much time on, on Kai Bowman and Damian Lee, the two guys who started the year on two-way contracts, though both of them ended up on full NBA contracts, not that the Warriors are playing in the hiatus. Partially, Damian, yeah. Damian well, Lee yeah. is, is an interesting story. We've talked about him in 15 and 60s throughout the year, but also this was his age 27 season. So if we're making this a young players thing, he doesn't really qualify. And with- um, um, Well, yeah, let, let me talk on, on Damian Lee just a little bit. Sure. I, I mean, I, I know he's 27, but... Uh, number one, I think he was the Warriors MVP this year. Sad, sad as uh, the competition may have been. And I think, you know, he's a quality open shooter. Didn't shoot quite as high a number as you would have liked, but he just really understands Steve Kerr's system, moves well without the ball, will get out in, in transition, it just constantly keeping up your offensive pace in the half court uh, by making quick decisions. And defensively, you know, especially as you, if you get into a playoff situation, probably a liability, but you know, at least plays hard, knows where to be. Uh, so I, I was impressed by him. I think he's a quality NBA rotation player. Sometimes hard to tell that when you've got these guys who are maybe getting a little more leash than they should, but I thought it was palpable. When he played, a lot of times the Warriors were a passable team, and when he wasn't playing, they were just, especially the overall intelligence on the court was just too low. And then Kai Bowman, very athletic point guard, former football player, started off shooting the ball pretty well uh, from three, uh, but kind of tailed off a little bit there. I mean, the idea of him ultimately is going to be someone who gets into you defensively, hits open shots, and can get out in transition and, and make plays athletically, you know, not really a threat in the half court with the ball. We could jump to Jordan Poole, who was the 28th overall pick in the 2019 draft, and it looked for a lot of the year like the Warriors were, you know, they were cursed at 28. I believe that's the same spot where they got Jacob Evans. And it was a, so Poole, he was, you know, was really, really struggling. The ball just wasn't going in for him. And then he was way better after the All-Star break, 60% true shooting and 24 usage, but that was only nine games. And so I think there will be, especially Warriors optimists who think, well, that's just who he is. You know, I I, I, I use Colin Sexton as the analogy here, just because it happened so recently, where he was a lot better for a single stretch. And so it's like, oh, well, that's just what it is now. And with Poole, yeah, he did look a little bit more dynamic with the ball in his hands. That was significantly more positive than we saw before. But we're just going to have to see. He's super young, uh, 53% true shooting on 21 usage, 7 points. No, no, no. You got you got a typo there. Oh. Uh, you transpose it. It's uh, 45% true shooting. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. I most definitely did transpose that. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, but yeah, the 21 usage though is accurate, uh, which is which is really high, and 16% assist rate, which is or assist percentage. That's Basketball Reference's version yeah. of it. And a big challenge for Poole, and yeah, he did a little bit more with the ball in his hands, but I don't think at least for the next couple of years he's doing that on an actual team as opposed to what the Warriors were this year. Is just that he contributes so little other than those things. He doesn't really rebound, doesn't get doesn't get many blocks. Had a couple of steals, but it, it it's just it'll be it'll be hard unless he's hitting a bunch of threes and he was at 28 percent this year yeah i mean he uh, for the overall season is one of the worst players in the nba a 20 year old he was particularly overwhelmed when pressed into duty by all the injuries early on he had a g league stint uh, i want to say in december maybe early january and steve kerr talked about how he was able to find his confidence again and then he actually started to be able to hit some shots yeah you know i mean i think there was a point at which like he he was like one out of 18 on twos for a stretch at, at one point so uh, you know, I worry a lot about his athleticism overall, to be sure. Uh, he, he did look better handling the ball. He's got a little bit of understanding of how to play. He started to find his way in the Warrior system, uh, make fewer just like overt, obvious mistakes defensively, but he still is working against players who are a lot more athletic than him. So I still don't believe that he's generally going to be a if you had to ask me is he going to be a rotation player i probably would say more likely than not that he isn't at this point in time uh but you know he did show some improvement so it's not uh not the end of the uh road for him by any means uh and then uh juan toscano anderson and talk about him quickly just a g league signee really love how hard he plays one of the hardest playing players in the nba shot it well from three in his time with the warriors but generally has shot extremely poorly uh, over the course of his career he's a, a an active cutter relatively athletic but he's also not quite big enough to defend the biggest wings and so uh i, I think in particular he's got to get stronger so and, and he's what is he 26 already so yeah this is age 26 season so I really like the guy, the kind of guy you might keep around as a 15th man for practice. More likely than not, though, his shot is going to doom him. Um, Eric Paschal, uh, we talked about him pretty extensively on the guys who might be become stars episode last week. So I don't really have anything to add on him. But if you wanted to uh, get a few more things in uh, about him, feel free. Just a little bit. Pascal played the most minutes on the 2019-20 Warriors, which is pretty pretty incredible uh, for a rookie who was drafted in the second round. Above average true shooting, 57% on 21% usage, despite shooting 29% from three on uh, 3.7 per 100 possessions. But that's because he was 55% on twos and got to the line pretty regularly, uh, six free attempts for under possessions which is which you're happy with for somebody like him especially on an under talented team that wasn't really didn't really have other threats so he was drawing there were nights where he was drawing a lot of the attention and a big part of that is 73% in the restricted area 41% on floaters 43% on mid-rangers so if he can build on that and be a you know be a a, a, a more reliable shooter maybe get you know also just fit in as a smaller cog in a bigger machine there's something to really build on here Marquis Chris is uh, signed for next season now on a non-guaranteed T bounced up and around, uh, was cut, then was on a two-way, then was brought back. Again, started at center. And I thought as an offensive center, he showed signs, particularly as a passer. He is a, an adept finisher around the basket. He really is still a center. We didn't see him shoot the ball that much. Maybe he'll reincorporate that into his game at some point. But I think he was able to offensively not hurt the team and actually be a, a plus. And he had some big scoring games uh, getting set up for alley-oops in the Warriors system. Defensively, 
it wasn't as horrible but he's not really a center defensively he can sky for some big blocks above the rib at times but the kind of nuts and bolts rim protection without fouling is not really there for him was he there were fewer plays where he was just like not coming over at all and just totally blowing it than in the past uh but also in pick and roll whether it was switch or conventional pick and roll defense you know he still got eaten up pretty badly so uh you know i think he could be a decent bench option probably someone who as they get into a playoff situation is gonna maybe fall out of the rotation but someone who can contribute and that's more than could be said and his attitude i think took a a real step forward you know he really had struggled with getting frustrated on the court in previous stops we didn't see that as much the warriors were happy with him in the locker room that they liked him so step forward for chris's career even if i think maybe people are getting a little ahead of themselves to declare him as the no-brainer starting center for the warriors next year wholeheartedly agree especially considering the yeah. the expect the expectations of success that the warriors have like it is a very different thing to be a good story on the worst team in the league than to be a player of importance on a potential you know even if it's a fringe title contender a fringe title contender yeah, so I'd give him probably a, a solid seven yeah, for his development. Absolutely, and and looking more together defensively is a huge step for Chris. And it was also like, I mean, there were times when watching him closely, it, may, it reminded me of how encouraged I was by what DeAndre Ayton has done. Ayton has better tools than Chris, and I thought that his flaws were less concerning. You know, like the uh, Ken Pelton brought this up back when. Chris was at Washington of his pattern recognition. Aiton was better at that sort of thing than Chris. And so like it's taking Chris to age 22 to make some of the improvements. And Aiton is already way better than Chris is now. Michael Mulder is actually someone I'm pretty excited about for this Warriors team. 9.23 point attempts per 36 minutes. And he came out of that Miami Heat system. And you've seen with Wayne Ellington, with Duncan Robinson, they took guys who had shooting potential and really turned them into these crazy bombers at uh in their system and Mulder was kind of taking on that role as one of the best shooters in the G League Warriors signed him and I thought he looked by far I think the best plus minus on the team because they actually had some real shooting for one of the first times with him out there and I thought athletically defensively he was passable and he like there's a story where he asked to guard Devin Booker after in this game that they won at Phoenix and did a, a pretty decent job he can attack the basket and at least finish with some decent amount of skill you know he's not going to be a pick and roll guy or anything like that so uh assuming the ball continues to go in for him you know i think he could be a, a part of this team next season again the same caveats abound when you're playing on a real team versus this but I, I thought he really actually positively impacted winning in his time with the warriors let's jump to the los angeles lakers and no no smiley huh we, we no, are, uh, he only played 139 minutes no i don't i don't i don't think we, uh, we g- give me I'll, I'll come on warriors fans listening to this thing right here i'll, I'll get i'll do 20 seconds go i i know we're short on time but uh yeah i mean he has no idea what he's doing defensively you know i think he has some feel as a scorer and his shooting has come along a little bit uh but defensively i just have no idea who he guards what he does uh his recognition isn't that good and his physical tools are are below average and so if he's a center you know maybe he could be an offensive center who shoots it outside maybe attacks mismatches in the post a little bit but probably a defensive liability uh so i mean i i if i had to guess on him i would say you know more likely than not he doesn't really ever particularly figure with the warriors uh even though he does have some ability offensively i just don't see the positional fit in any way when when you think about what the warriors did to get him you know the stashing him on the g league team and then trade trading to get that that second round pick it was like either they outsmarted everybody or they 
believed their yeah, own hype. They, they fell in love with their own story. They perhaps. fell in love with their own. That's what I, that's what I believe as well. Especially when you consider the the lack, the comparative lack of physical tools. Not that he's terrible, but it's so hard. To, you have to have so much development to overcome that. And we'll have to see if Smalagic can do it. And he doesn't have a ton of time just because the Warriors aren't. They they need players who can actually play moving forward. And you know if they can get him reps in Santa Cruz again, then then that's one thing. But it'll be a challenge. Now let's move to the Lakers and. Start this. Well, let's let's move to a, a quick read here first. Sorry. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Okay, now let's move to the Lakers. Are we finally getting to the fireworks factory? I, I guess that's going to be Kyle Kuzma's <laughs> nickname now. Um, this was Kuzma's age 24 season. He actually turns 25 later in July. Not an encouraging season for the former Utah Ute. Career lows in scoring, rebounding, and minutes per game. Um, but it is he was playing a very different role on these Lakers than the previous ones. They had different expectations. They are a title contender, if not a favorite in some people's eyes. But a lot of other really concerning things. 11.6 PER below average true shooting 52% on 23 usage 30% on 8.53s per hundred possessions pretty similar three-point attempt rate to other years and he shot 30% last year too so there was an easy narrative when Kuzma was a rookie and shot 37% oh he's gonna be yeah, a great and shooter. he wasn't a great shooter in college right too. like the idea that he was shooting I mean he shoots an easy ball he looks comfortable out there but the idea uh, when he shot it that well it was kind of like oh how the hell did nobody draft this guy uh, until late in the first round it's like well yeah but he didn't shoot like this in college and now overall he hasn't shot like that as a pro so he shot 37 percent that rookie year now for the career he's down to 33 percent and that you know we'll, we'll see where he ends up but remember kuzma's 24 turning 25 and uh, what concerns me so much for for kuzma on a team like the lakers is that he doesn't bring a lot of other things to the table and he's a negative defensive player so i just don't know where he fits on a good team i think that theoretically if they wanted to trade him to someone else that's in a different phase of the cycle forward sized guys are incredibly valuable around the league kuzma is listed at six eight but he just doesn't make sense for the lakers 
Yeah, I think he did within his capabilities take some strides defensively. Uh, but like you mentioned, you know, the, the and they kind of needed some shot creation, but you know, it would have been better if they had that from guys who could initiate from the perimeter. You know, they don't really necessarily need his like mid post ISO kind of game, which is where he's best. And it, he tried to fit in shooting the ball more, but that's not. It, he's really more of a scorer than a shooter and someone who needs the ball to be effective and. Uh, so yeah, he, he really did not particularly contribute to winning for the Lakers uh, this year, it seemed like. And then when you have, you know, are you going to play him, LeBron, and AD together? You have these fit questions as well. So, uh, I mean, I'm interested to see what he can do as a scorer. Hopefully there will be a trade uh, this offseason where he can get in somewhere where he fits a little bit better. Um so, I mean, I would probably have to give him like, you know, between a two or a three in his development this year. I was thinking a two. So, yeah, we're run there. Alex Caruso, age 25 season, ter- actually turned 26 in February. So after the basketball reference cutoff. And what I find so fascinating about Caruso is that he's transitioned into a role that is just not super common in the modern NBA. And that's, you know, guard sized guy who's more of an off ball defensive specialist. And so when you when you look at when he plays with LeBron, you know, especially it's 8% assist rate, you know, and he's defending well. That's part of why, why the defensive metrics, defensive components of PIPM and RPM absolutely love Alex Caruso. But when you look at his profile, it's, you know, more spot ups than pick and rolls, not a super high assist rate other than when he plays without LeBron. And not surprisingly, the offense in those minutes isn't great. But if he defends the way he does, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, I think the impact metrics are being helped by the fact that he's not Rajon Rondo. Yes. And uh, that he and the role he would play would be weird too. I mean, he'd kind of first they would start with Avery Bradley, then they'd bring in Rondo. Rondo would play for like four or five minutes, then they'd bring in Caruso at you know ten minutes left in the second in the fourth quarter, and sometimes he would even finish games and. So it was very odd use. I think Frank Vogel kind of realized that he was better than Rondo, but just, you know, had to keep playing Rondo. Um, As an individual defender, he is not impressed, but as a help defender, uh, you mentioned that that he plays pretty hard. I think he's, his shooting has gotten to be like passable-ish, you know? I mean, he's one of those guys who, you know, he could either get hot in the playoff crucible and or it would just not work out because they're leaving him wide open all the time uh but certainly you know a solid backup point guard in this league he's really developed into that uh showed that he could play uh, on uh, this really really good team and contribute to winning so i'd give him a solid seven for his development yeah absolutely and crusoe the transition to off ball last year and in previous years about two-thirds of his three-pointers were assisted now he's up to 90 percent, so he's really more in that you know catch and shoot three mold and i just love this as a stat the the lakers had a plus 20.8 net rating in 485 minutes when lebron and caruso played together and a plus seven net rating in 1600 minutes when lebron played without caruso yeah and uh you know a lot of those minutes are at the end of games and you know again not having uh rajon rondo which was not a great pairing uh, with lebron one thing to note though with caruso is not really a pick and roll threat 0.62 points per possession as a scorer out of pick and roll he really doesn't have anything to go to you mentioned his shooting off the dribble is kind of dried up a little bit he's athletic but he's not really a great finisher and so he really, as a score, doesn't have any kind of a bread and butter in pick and roll. And yeah, he'll run it and he can make some decent passes. But he, if you're going to have him run the offense on the second unit, that's not going to work for you, uh, just as a general proposition. But you know, if he's playing with Le- LeBron James, he doesn't need to do that. 
Uh, do you uh, want to talk about? We could talk. Yeah. yeah Taylor Horton yeah, Tucker. He was the he was the forty sixth pick in in this year's draft. The Lakers. The Lakers ended up. I believe they got him via trade. Unfortunately, he didn't really play much for the Lakers this year. But you you took a look at some of his G League stuff. Yeah. Uh, not playing much equals five minutes at the big league level. And remember, he was struggling with a foot injury early. I don't know if we even saw him in preseason. Definitely didn't see him in summer league. Uh, but out of uh, Chicago Simeon High School, so I, I'm favorably disposed to him uh, already uh, because of that uh he's got an eric gordon like body six four seven one wingspan but doesn't have the same level of explosiveness uh, as eric gordon if he did obviously he would have been drafted a lot higher uh, than 46 i i liked his skill level offensively though i mean he really was playing as kind of a combo guard and at a pretty decent uh, assist rate he took six threes a game and looked comfortable taking them only hit 31 percent, but when the defense went under he was very comfortable pulling a three-pointer even went to some step backs even went to some uh three-pointers well behind the line so we'll see if he can continue to improve that i mean worth noting only 19 right now he doesn't turn 20 until november so one of the the latest possible birth dates that you can have uh, in the this one and done era and uh, i thought he threw some nice passes in transition hit ahead passes in particular uh now he does weigh about 240 and he's pretty slow feet defending in isolation you know, maybe if he could tighten his body up a little bit, that might lead to a little bit quicker feet. But he had he had trouble staying in front of G League point guards in isolation at six four. Um, you know, we didn't see much of him as a switch guy in the post, but maybe that could be part of his destiny. But he's got to get better as an individual defender. I think that's the number one thing. But there's some intriguing skills here. You know, the numbers weren't great. You know, true shooting in the low fifties. The, the three-pointer at 31%. But uh, he's one of those guys who looks a little bit better on film than the numbers. And uh, again, given how young he is, that's no crime. Let's jump to their co-tenants, the LA Clippers. Landry Shamit, first full season on the Clippers. And his overall profile, very similar story. I mean, he... 60% true shooting on 13 usage. That's actually even lower than on the Sixers and the Clippers in his rookie season. But Takes a ton of take, takes plenty of threes, makes plenty of threes, uh, about ten per hundred possessions, made forty percent of them again, and doesn't get to the line, doesn't get to the basket, just takes and makes those threes, and you hope that he can defend enough to stay on the floor. Yeah, and I think uh, this is a team that didn't really use him as much as uh, the Sixers did. They kind of just plugged him in for J.J. Redick with some of the same sets. Not a ton of motion and moving the ball for this Clippers team, and they don't necessarily need to do that. They have a lot of great isolation players who can just go and score. Uh, But there are ways that they could use him more effectively. It didn't help that he missed a bunch of time uh, with his own ankle injury and they also have Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly, who are both vets and vocal guys who apparently are going to be in the rotation ahead of him, even though maybe they shouldn't be at times because they, they need his shooting. So, you know, I mean, this is about, I mean, he certainly at least didn't take a step back, which you were worried about since he was so much better than people thought he was going to be last year. So, I mean, it's just kind of right in the same range as an older rookie anyway. I mean, the one thing I worry about him a little bit is just you know, I think he looks good guarding guys off ball. He did a lot of guarding Stephen Curry in that playoff series last year. But in more physical or athletic matchups, I think he, he can really be a liability. It's kind of hard to play him and Lou Williams together Yeah, as well. So that's something to keep in mind. But no, he's right on track. I, I thought he, he was injured, but maybe wasn't used 
the way you would like, but he seemed like looked like the same guy to me. So give him a, a five for his development. He seems like he's just right on track to where he needs to be. Yeah, and, um, and it's early for it. But yeah. if the Clippers aren't going to use him and under and, and undervalue, I don't know if there's a disconnect between the front office and, and Doc Rivers here. But if they're not going to use him regularly, I still think there's a, 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 a larger role for him in a different on a different team. And so it's probably too early for some sort of like challenge trade second draft thing. But I still I still believe that Shamit can be more valuable than what he's been. Yeah, and we'll see uh, in the playoffs. He may get that chance. Fiondu uh, Kamengele, uh, uh, they call him Fee uh, with the Clippers. Only played 64 minutes at the big league level, but played plenty in the G League. Uh, talked to someone uh, on their coaching staff down there that uh, were quite glowing about the work ethic of both him and uh, his teammate Terrence Mann, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, now, uh, and turning to my own observations here, uh, most surprising for me was six three-pointers per game uh, for Calvin Gale. He played more at the four at times because they had Jonathan Motley, who was another big on the team. So they had more size than a lot of G League teams. But most sets, it looked like he was actually setting up at the arc, probably popping more than rolling. And he looked comfortable taking that 34% from three overall. Not a huge offensive rebounder, but as mentioned, he was really more away from the basket offensively i thought he did more off the dribble than i expected he was able to do a little bit of a right hand drive put the ball on the floor off a closeout he had one like monster dunk off a drive in from the wing so it is you might stereotype him as being a little bit more unskilled than he actually is uh also plays hard i was impressed by his effort level running the floor uh as a finisher he kind of has to like load up he'll bring the ball down and get stripped sometimes but you know he's a, a solid solidly i'd say above average athleticism for a center uh and again didn't look at his defense that closely uh but i thought uh, positive signs that there's a chance that they might have something with him again you know he's they're kind of they've got him on the way to learning some skills particularly the shooting that's important he's known as a shot blocker in college he does have the athleticism there uh so he's uh for a guy that just didn't play at all this year uh there are some intriguing elements uh, something to note for Cabangele and college teammate Terrence Mann is that they're both older rookies. Cabangele, this was age 22 season, Terrence Mann, his age 23 season. Yeah, and Mann, I mean, he's a, a really interesting player. Doesn't take a ton of threes, really athletic. You know, 6'4", big, big point guard. In fact, to the point where they would post him up sometimes in some of their sets. Um, really outstanding finisher around the basket particularly at the g league level where he's really overwhelming guys big hands gets good extension has a pretty good wingspan uh so he despite shooting 33 percent from three he had 65 percent true shooting and he shot 60 percent overall on twos but only 18 percent usage and he's not like getting to the line a lot either so he's relatively judicious in his attempts but when he does he's going all the way to the basket and he's going to score particularly at the g league level also had uh, six assists a game in 35 minutes a game and i thought the three-pointer which is the big knock on him he looked more eager taking the three than in summer league and uh you know, only 2.7 attempts per game, not really comfortable shooting it off the dribble, but he did at least look comfortable in the corners or uh, as a spot up guy. So again, uh, someone who has some raw skills uh, and definitely has NBA athleticism, he played a little bit with the big club as well, but, uh, and maybe could have been in the rotation if they weren't so stacked. So I think, again, you know, he's older, but he's, and he has an interesting statistical profile, but there are things to really like about him. Yeah, man, also knowing what we know right now, has a very free, free team friendly contract. He was the 48th pick 
And the Clippers did give him two guaranteed years, and that's that's pretty awesome for a second round pick. But then it's a the third year non guaranteed minimum, fourth year team option minimum. That team option is important because remember that is the you know Nikola Jokic is the most famous example of this, but there are lots of lesser players who've had this where the Clippers can decline that team option to make Man a restricted free agent, or they can pick up that option and have him at the minimum for another year, and then he would be an unrestricted free agent after that with a minimum cap hold, and they can they can play that however they want, but they will get a lot more information, you know, two more years of games before they figure that out. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Let's turn now to the news. And today, July 1st, was the first day of mandatory workouts. Recall that June 22nd, players were supposed to return to their home markets and begin coronavirus testing every other day. We'll get to some of the results of, of that in a second. But I think actually the most biggest news thing is with MLS. Uh, FC Dallas uh, ended up having six players test positive for the coronavirus. They actually, uh, MLS is doing their own thing in Orlando this year. And it seems this is the exact scenario that I was most worried about of players testing negative before they come to Orlando and then testing positive there. Now, MLS, I don't, I'm not privy to exactly what their procedures are the way in with the NBA, but it sounds like from reports that they only had one negative coronavirus test basically like right before they get on the flight and then two players test positive then another four did. So it seems like they, the one negative test started having close contact among them and now uh, there's this outbreak. It's unclear how many, whether people with Dallas had contact with any of the other teams. So it may be that this team uh, is just not going to be able to continue, uh, but it's also a cautionary tale. But I, th- my hope is, although the NBA, as we talked about before, and I actually went on Tom Haversho's podcast to have like 45 minutes of really getting into the NBA uh, procedures, um, if, you, if you guys want to listen to that, uh, not th- I'm sure many of you have uh, heard me talk about COVID-19 enough. But uh, so the NBA's procedures are better. They've been testing everyone starting on June 22nd. It seems like they had a couple more tests come out after that initial 16 players uh, whom we'll get to, but they haven't had many more. So hopefully the hope is that NBA players are staying at home, not doing anything where they could get infected. Hopefully their families are, are being conservative as well. And so they're continuing to be tested over this period. And so you're not going to have a window that's nearly as big, although there could be one of where you get infected right before you leave you get on the plane and then you get to Orlando also they're going to have each individual is going to have up to a 48 maybe even more than that hour quarantine once they get to Orlando no contact even with their teammates and so that that can also help which I don't think MLS had that either from what I'm hearing so uh sobering to see how this can go wrong but also uh, hope that the NBA is going to do a little bit better a job than MLS, and maybe they can even modify their procedures somewhat in that regard. A couple other notes here out of the bubble. There's going to be a phone app for players and members of the traveling party to 
get food deliveries, concierge, barbers, schedule their workouts. Uh, we talked about this briefly, but if a, a player has an excused absence, for example, Mike Conley is his wife, I think, is due in August. And so if he has to leave, he would need to continue getting tested every day when he leaves and then have a four day self quarantine upon getting back in. If you have an unexcused absence, you have to have a much longer quarantine. Uh, Disney's staff on campus, they are going to go home, but the league and the Disney Union are still working to get a larger group of them into a testing protocol. So that's a, a sealing up hopefully another loose end. Uh, and this is another question that I had. Uh, there's going to be a medical clinic on the campus as the primary place for medical care. And then the league has secured VIP access, according to Shams, to another healthcare center at Lake Buena Vista off of the campus. So uh, now how that's going to work if Orlando hospitals get overwhelmed at some point in this, I assume that means they're still going to get it. Um and they're also going to have virtual screens around the arena to provide an enhanced feel for television audiences. I think the place to start in the more team-specific news is with the Brooklyn Nets, who are already going to be without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Now they're going to be without DeAndre Jordan because he tested positive while back in the market. And li- and I- I- we've heard officially, but likely at least, without Spencer Dinwiddie because he tested positive and maybe was showing symptoms. It's been a little bit a little bit confusing with. Yeah, it seemed it seemed pretty clear that he. Uh, did in fact have symptoms so yeah um and he said that so it's deandre jordan is not gonna play he's had some struggles with asthma i think he had a bout with pneumonia as well so completely understandable that he's not gonna go uh dinwiddie they really really need him and will if he's having symptoms he may not be able to play uh but he does have time to potentially recover a, a little bit we'll see i mean I, it's uh, i hope that his symptoms do not necessarily turn worse we everyone else has really uh recovered in short order was the word in the sam amick piece uh about how everyone has done so um and also the timing of this is interesting both of them said uh seem to be of the belief that they picked up the virus after returning to market the nets did close their practice facility no indications that they infected anyone at the practice facility and they shouldn't have because and i'm, and I'm actually not even 100 sure they were going there but uh the regulations were for no close contact really until you get to orlando so the protocol should be in place that they wouldn't have infected anyone else there and it's unclear you know jordan if he was at home in houston that's a hot spot right now so uh not clear exactly where and when they pick this up but it seems that they we don't know this for sure but it seems like they didn't test positive in that initial testing on uh june 22nd but it's we're gonna have to really be reading the tea leaves because the there is uh uh, the league has not been particularly forthcoming about uh these and you know the the players have the right to have that not get out but for us uh trying to cover it it's difficult um where else you want to go here a couple of uncertain players who are important to their teams victor oladipo is still not committing to playing there i think they just need to get more information on how he is physically and there's been real uncertainty about lou williams but as of now, Doc Rivers expects Williams to play for the Clippers in Orlando. Yeah, Oladipo said he's going to decide right before they get down there. Uh, you know, he said that he's just, it depends uh, on how he feels. And uh, it does seem like he still is kind of struggling a little bit uh, with that surgically repaired quad tendon. Brian Windhorst said on ESPN 1000 today that his he believes that Jim Boylan will be back because uh, the Bulls don't want to pay two coaches 
that could oh be boy. in part due to the coronavirus. But it does seem like, uh, you know, Jim Boylan might be back because especially now that the Bulls know that they're out of it, uh, you know, maybe there's a feeling that like it's unfair to Boylan and he needs to be evaluated by Karnaschivas uh, in some way or they need to have some in-person meetings that I haven't been able to have yet or something. But uh, I mean, under whatever scenario, either if the Bulls were able to do some sort of mini camp, which doesn't look like it's necessarily going to happen as we'll get to, but uh, then you would want the new coach to be in during this mini camp uh and or you would want a, a chance to potentially hire a new coach maybe you'll you could see a firing uh you know after the season is over and some other candidates become available but it really it seems like if he were going to be fired he would have been fired by now agreed um speaking of which it looks like and I, i've talked about this too i don't really see how you're supposed to have these mandatory practices without doing the same thing as in orlando and mark uh um michelle roberts said that we need to have the same level of safety as in Orlando. Uh, good luck doing that, by the way, for next season as well. But, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. That's something else I talked about pretty extensively on Tom's podcast, uh, my pessimism for next season. But uh, Mark Berman, the New York Post, reported that the Delete 8 uh, will not be able to have mandatory workouts um but maybe they'll be voluntary and with strict guidelines but it really doesn't seem to be a way to make this safe uh to have a bunch of players having a normal practice having close contact unless you're going through the level of quarantine and we've seen that in the lead up to this there's basically you got to do three weeks of this before you can even really allow players to get into close contact with each other even on their own team not to mention other teams so it's probably just going to be more trouble than it's worth in the end the portland trailblazers signed jalen adams but and the, the good news that zach collins and yusuf nurkic look like they're on the way back i've, I've heard rumors about that already but yeah, dame lillard said that said they it. looked very good today yeah and that that's the good news the bad news is which without trevor reza they're going to need to find a new starting small forward and that's probably going to be carmelo anthony yeah, it's either him or Gary Trent, it, it would seem like. I would probably go with Trent because Mello is uh, too slow to defend the four position, not to mention the three. At least you're having him as a... Well, and then you look at two, CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard, Mello, like who's going to guard anybody good on the other? I mean, I guess CJ would have to do it, but he's going to be undersized on a lot of these guys. Uh, so maybe it would be better to have Trent, but Mello, of course, he's uh, is going to want to start, you would imagine. Um, and then Jalen Adams is a backup one guard type. I could actually see him beating out Anthony Simons for minutes potentially because they, they were not good with simons and, and i thought adams showed some things uh with the hawks last year just a kind of a conventional backup point guard a little undersized washington this is noteworthy bradley beal hasn't decided whether he wants to play yet and especially after all of this of like washington being so far behind and it's kind of a farce that they're there to begin with they're already not going to have bertans play uh and, but they have a golden opportunity with all these guys who are missing for brooklyn like brooklyn may not even have any kind of an established nba point guard on their team and they're gonna have one center as well you know they still have to sign a center uh, as a replacement player for deandre jordan so washington actually kind of has a golden opportunity but beal said yeah you know i'm I'm not leaning one way or the other. I might play, I might not. So it, it would be rather amusing if after what I'm sure was make the playoffs at any cost, Ted Leonsis is lobbying to get into this thing if you know, their two best players don't play. <laughs> uh, and again, that's their right to not play. I, Absolutely. Uh, but but it's uh, just from a team level. It's got, It seems like both Robert Tarver and Ted Leonsis are like really fired up to get into this thing and uh, maybe the rest of the organization less so. 
And also uh, a cool little wrinkle from Bobby Marks. While Jaron Grant has played for the Capital City Go-Go, the Wizards G League affiliate this year, he he signed his contract in the NBA is a substitute contract. So technically, the Orlando Magic still retain Grant's bird rights along with his free agent capital. Yeah, and to be clear, these substitute contracts, you can only sign them for players who specifically have opted out as Bertans has whereas they eventually decided no if the player is out for the season due to injury from before this you don't actually get to sign a a substitute so essentially and and those substitute players don't appear on teams books i don't think for cap purposes either so uh it's basically just like it never happened once the season is over (laughs) it seems like And that distinction matters in Philadelphia, where Zaire Smith has a bone bruise in his left knee and will not travel to Orlando. But since his injury predates training camp, the Sixers do not get a substitute player. But they did, you know, they added Ryan Brokoff and also Zaire Smith probably was going to be a huge part of the rotation anyway, but he will be unavailable. Yeah, and for Smith continuing what has been a star-crossed career, and he could at least have used the time to be around the team and continue to refine his game. He spent a lot of time in the G League this year uh, as well. Orlando, they have not yet ruled out, according to Steve Clifford, uh, Alfred Camino, who you remember had that meniscus issue and eventually had surgery or jonathan isaac who had a pretty severe knee injury uh but we'll see i mean i it does seem like they probably aren't gonna play especially because orlando is in a pretty decent position even without them given the issues that the nets are having right now uh houston rick carlisle the nba coaches association president this applies to mike d'antoni and all the other coaches as well uh says we've been insured by the league that no one will be red flagged based on age alone all coaches and staffers are going to go through a medical screening process and at that point if there are some underlying conditions perhaps uh, people will be ruled out and then tabo cephalosha has opted out of the restart houston has signed a replacement player or will do so and that's luke and bob mute old standby we'll jump to the lakers uh they did officially get jr smith to sign we, we talked about the the quirks of the timeline the last the last news segment we did and we're still unsure of what's going on with dwight howard as of the last we heard he's remaining in his atlanta area home but he is satisfying the league's quarantine and testing protocol and they hope that he will eventually join the lakers in florida yeah, this was interesting. I, I was under the impression that the general requirement was players had to report to their home markets for testing as of June 22nd. Maybe he got some special dispensation. I don't know exactly how he's doing the testing and the league is keeping up with that. Uh, but certainly if he does just show up and meet the team in Orlando, I'd want to have real good assurances that he was adhering to the same testing protocol that everyone else does. Uh, the Nuggets had to temporarily close their facility due to coronavirus infections. It sounds like that was maybe in staff rather than players, although, again, we don't have a specific message uh, on that. Nikola Jokic is not back in the U.S., I, I would assume, due to the issues with uh, being positive for coronavirus and then having to travel back. Uh, the hope is that he will be able to return to Orlando. Well, at least if he's had it already, there isn't as much of a concern about him getting it again and passing it out, but he's got to get uh, two negative tests. And sometimes you'll see a lag with that because uh, you can just kind of have dead virus RNA, even if you're no longer infectious, the PCR test would still pick that up. Uh, and then uh, PJ Dozier signed a contract. He'd been on a two-way, but he actually gets $1.2 million guaranteed next year. Good for him. Absolutely. Oh, you don't, you don't want to just transition right to, to Jordan Bell here to finish things out? No. I mean, 
Jordan Bell he got signed by the Cavs. I haven't heard the exact structure of the contract, but good for good for him to get another chance in the NBA. And the Cavs need all the lottery tickets they can get. Actually, writing about them, uh, I think I think they'll be up either Thursday or Friday at the Athletic. Is the the collaborative piece of Seth, uh, Dave Dufour, Sam Vecini, and yours truly on the Cavs. And one of the things we talked about a lot was their dearth of NBA caliber talent. I'm not saying Jordan Bell is there right now, but hopefully he can help. Yeah, it is. I mean, they do have a bunch of centers, but maybe if Tristan Thompson leaves, Ante Zizic probably won't be around next year. So, uh, you know, I would want maybe a little bit better chance at playing time. But, you know, Jordan Bell has uh, fallen into the beggars can't be choosers standpoint also worth noting that he was waived on march 2nd so would not have been playoff eligible so that's part of why i think some of the, the playoff teams were interested in you would think maybe the nets or something would be interested in but he would not have been eligible for the playoffs uh we could tell you that we did a patreon mailbag patreon.com slash duncan the root thanks to so many of you who have supported you have actually over 800 supporters now on that uh, which really means a lot to us uh, those of you who supported the COVID daily news project as well by subscribing we really appreciate that as well we got into a lot of fun stuff on that recent mailbag well yeah we got uh, in we had this extended conversation somebody asked us about the kind of the skill groups that are easiest and hardest to improve and to develop and and i thought we we got into some interesting ground there and some questions about how covid19 is going to affect the salary cap and how teams approach contracts and all that so and it's fun because on those we can you know with that first question i I mentioned we talked about that for like 15 minutes because we we wanted to really get into the nuts and bolts of it and we we do we really enjoy doing that on the patreon mailbags and when we get great questions we give them the time they deserve all right, that'll do it for today. We'll be back uh, on Monday because we got a Hollinger and Duncan coming out on Sunday. So Danny and I will be on a Monday schedule, Monday night for next week. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.